Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming right after the Revs, defeating Atlanta United at home 2-1 with goals from both Brandon By and Carles Hill. The Revolution are now on seven points and sitting atop the Eastern Conference. I'm Christopher Lucas, and joining me today, as usual, is Sean Donahue and Greg Johnstone. Sean, how are you doing this evening? Doing well. It's nice to be talking about a, a exciting game this week that wasn't decided on an own goal and you know point three and point two expected goals. There are actually some real chances in this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Greg, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I would feel better if there was a U.S. Open Cup because I think the Revolution would have qualified for it, but unfortunately it was canceled because of you, Chris. So other than that kind of like you know sour note, uh, I'm doing very very well tonight. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, for tweeting at me the past week. You know I. I love hearing about how much the Open Cup has been canceled and that it's my fault. Um, and I I ran the numbers. You know, the Revs would have qualified after tonight's win. And uh, yeah, I'm a little bit heartbroken that that it's not happening. But uh, I guess overall, I'm, I'm doing okay as well. Uh, can't be too upset when the Revs are taking away a 2-1 win over Atlanta. Key takeaways from the game tonight, though. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to still take that uh, Jay Katniss has made this podcast a few times, and that's the refs just work better with, with Carly's heel in the center. I, I do think that's his best position. I agree with the decisions in the past to, to put him where they put him on the wing because of you could kind of force through that with Gustavo Bo available. But with Gustavo Bo out, Carly's heel ended up in the middle. And, you know, some of it's the opponent they were playing, but he, he ended up, I think, with 95 touches tonight. The past two games, he was in the 60 range uh, for both of them. And, you know, if you can get Carles Heel another 30 touches in a game, that's a really, really good thing for the Revolution. Um, you saw how good he looked today. I think we'll talk about it more later. Um, but, you know, it was just a fantastic performance from Carles Heel. He had that great assist. Uh, he scored the penalty kick and, you know, was probably unlucky not to have a few more assists in this one. And that, you know, that, that touch he had late in the game, too. You, you can't speak highly enough about how good. Carlos Hill performed tonight, and because he was in the center, I think he got a lot more touches than he's gotten in the past few games. He always gets a lot of touches, but a thirty a thirty touch increase is uh, pretty significant for your best player. Um, and the formation and the way they played, and I think you know Revolution Report asked us a question about this: Carlos Hill in the center and, and the formation. And I think they did look better this game. I think there's no doubt they looked better than they did, you know, last week against DC, where they, again, the opponent's different, but uh, they absolutely looked better this week. It flowed better. You know, Carly's heel with two true wingers beside him, I think, gives him a little more freedom to to control the middle. Um, and I think that, you know, it's going to be a difficult decision going forward what they do uh, when Gustavo Bo is healthy, because um, I do think Gustavo Bo's best position is forward. Um, and I don't think he can play Carly's heel in the center and Gustavo Bo next to Adam Buxa with two strikers and, and have it work the same way. So um, there's going to be some tough calls going forward. But, you know, from this game and, and from what we've seen in the past, um, I'm, I'm on board. The, <laughs> the take that Jake's been, been saying for several podcasts that we've had him on is that Carly's heel is just better in the center and the Rebs work better with him in the center. Yeah, Carly's was phenomenal today. You know, he won goal, one assist. He was just unreal. Um, and I guess I, that kind of leads into my takeaway. I'm going to jump in and, and put that in there. What I noticed is that there was something missing tonight, and you didn't notice it. Uh, and that's, of course, Gustavo Bo. Uh, first two games for him have been 
uh, subpar, I guess I would say, to be polite. And then, of course, he's not even in the 18 tonight. I'm not sure what's going on with him. Um, I don't know if there was any reports. Jeff Lemieux said before the game, I guess, that he was injured. And, and uh, Bruce Arena said after the game that he'll be back in training Monday. I think it was like some muscular injury or something. So it does, it's not serious, whatever it is. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I was looking. I didn't see it. I didn't look hard enough, apparently. But uh, that's why I have you, Sean. Um, <laughs> and that's why you should be following Revolution Recap on Twitter. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a break because I know you're preparing for the pod. We went right after the game into the podcast, but just to let you know, Chris, you did miss that tweet for me. Feelings a little bit hurt, pride's a little bruised, but that's okay. <laughs> you send a lot of tweets. I I try my best to keep up, but yeah, no. My my takeaway is that Bo wasn't there, and you wouldn't have even known it. Or maybe the Revs performed better because Bo was not there, and we were talking about how Carly's heel got an extra 30 plus touches. And a lot of that would have been touches that would have gone to Gustavo Bo. Nobody was forcing the ball to him. We weren't trying to push the offense through Gustavo Bo. And when Gustavo's on, obviously he's one of the best players in the league and he's one of the toughest players to defend. Um, and he's going to score goals from, you know, anywhere within 35 yards of the net. But when he's not on, I, I feel like he's maybe taking up too much space, uh, taking away too many touches. Um, I don't know where, where things are going with Gustavo Bo, but that's uh, something that I absolutely noticed today was that you didn't even notice that you were missing a, a designated player on the pitch. And I think you were leading towards something that I was thinking during the game, which is, you know, you didn't quite go there as far as to say it, but I, I think the Revolution play better without Gustavo Bo, and it's not Gustavo Bo's yeah. fault. He's an immensely talented player, um, one of the most talented guys in the team, but I, I just don't know that he fits into the Revolution's system, um, you know, with their three designated players. I don't know if that's the perfect match, the, the way it works. is, is Like I said, I don't know how you can play Carles heel in his best spot if Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxer are both out there. So it's, it's, it's a tough thing to say, but I think, you know, based on what we've seen today, uh, the Revolution might be a better team without Gustavo Bo, even though he's, you know, arguably one of his top one or you know, top two or three most talented players in the team. Yeah. I, one thing I was thinking today was, is Gustavo Bo maybe a better player for this team if he's coming off the bench? late in games. Uh, and, th- and that could be how we best use him, but it seems like a waste of, a d- of the DP spot to use as a super sub. Um, Greg, did you have a comment on that? Yeah, I just want to first off uh, give a shout out to J- Jason Schmidt, who sent in a Twitter question as Chris was talking, and it was, did we miss Bo tonight? So I don't know if he's got some weird superpower uh, and he knows exactly what we're talking about, but that was amazing timing by Jason. Um, I, I kind of disagree with you guys a little bit here because I think the Revs did miss uh, Gustavo Bo a little bit. They had some great service into the box, particularly in the first half. They just needed that finishing touch. Um, there were a few moments where, you know, obviously there was the Brynn by header, which was very, very nice. I think Buxa had a, a got a toe to a, a Carles heel cross that uh, Guzan touched above the bar. Um, outside of that, the finishing was off tonight, kind of all the way around. And I think Gustavo Bo, I mean, you go back to the Chicago goal where it was a really, really nice touch uh, past Shuttleworth there by, by Gustavo Bo. I think something like that where a guy who is a pure scorer who can get close to goal, I think that was missed a little bit tonight too. And uh, I, I think he is a versatile player. If you give him the ball kind of outside of the box, he's able to convert on a long-range shot. And there were some long-range shots uh, tonight. I mean, I just remember the Matt Polster shot going completely wide. I, I I think he would have added another dimension to the offense, and I think he would have complemented the offense a little bit tonight. Um, but overall, on the whole, I think this offense, what we saw tonight is that the offense is very strong, even without him, which is a, a really, really good sign. So I know my takeaway is going on a little long, but I'm going to ask one more question, I guess, about it now. I'm assuming Tejan Buchanan's start is because Gustavo Bo was not there. 
Uh, in the 15th minute, Adam Buxa, you were talking about crosses into the box. Adam Buxa had actually really, really beautiful cross coming in. Maybe it was a bit tough to get to, but Tejan did get his head on it, uh, and it went maybe about six yards wide. If that's Gustavo Bo, does that go in the back of the net? I don't know if Gustavo Bo gets to that header. Um, and I also don't know if the Revolution get that penalty kick that they got from Tejan uh, if Gustavo Bo is in the game. Um, it's just a completely different team. I, I, again, it's tough for me to say this because Gustavo Bo is extremely talented. So it's hard to it's hard to say the Revolution are you know better off without you know arguably their second best player on the field. Um, and I completely agree with Greg's point that Gustavo Bo gives you something nobody else does. He's just a you know he's kind of that luxury player that's hard to fit in to a lineup, especially a lineup that has a Carles heel. You know, if you were kind of playing a, a straight four four two and didn't really have a great number ten. That might work, or you know, if you if you know if you're playing the formation the refs are playing now, and and you know Carlos Hill wasn't available or something. You know, there's a, there's a lot of ways in which Gustavo Bo can help a lot, and he can help a lot in what they're, what they're trying to do now. But it's just to me, if you take away one of the wingers to put Gustavo Bo out there either as a striker or kind of play him on the left, I don't know that that makes the revolution better. Yeah, I mean, this kind of blends in with your takeaway too, Sean. Where you know you're talking about Carles Heel in the center. I mean, essentially, would you rather have Heel on the right, or at least starting on the right? I guess we should throw in the caveat that you know everyone pictures how the formation is lined up, and Bruce Arena has said at every press conference for the last month that you know Carles Heel is free roaming. He doesn't really have a position. If you look at the heat map, which you know he he also kind of like. Uh, is not a fan of heat maps either. He's not a fan of any stats whatsoever. He made a point to saying that, but he said, if you look at the heat map, heel is going to be all over the place. So there isn't a, a huge definition, but if you looked at the heat map, I, I think you would say that heel is going to be kind of in the center and kind of be a number 10. And what was the stat you threw out there, Sean, that he'll had 30 more touches tonight or, or something like that. He had 93 touches tonight and the past two games, I think he had 65 and 69. Yeah. And, and, and Taeyeon gives them another weapon on the wings for heel to pass to you. There, there were so many give and goes the play where uh, Taeyeon draws the yellow Taeyeon leaves the ball out for heel. He'll kind of chips it between two people uh, and Taeyeon kind of takes it down the side, then goes one-on-one with someone and draws a foul um, and, and gets a yellow on a kind of a professional foul. You know, that doesn't happen with Gustavo Bo out there. He, he's just not as quick. Um, he doesn't have the passing abilities to do a kind of a quick combination like that. And yeah, it, it, we're, we're basically trying to figure out, do we want a, another striker up top? with to compliment Adam Buxa, or do we want another speedy winger with Taeyeon Buchanan? And I, I don't know if there's a wrong answer, but I think Carles Heel is more dangerous with another speedy winger uh, going up and down the wings. I, I think that's the answer. But again, I, I, I don't know if there's a wrong answer because I'm, I'm perfectly fine with a 4-4-2. Yep. Well, I think that's a, that's a fabulous take and a very fair one at that. Um, but we should move on from my, my takeaway, I guess. And Greg, what do you got for tonight? I want to know. Uh, well, I, I think we kind of have already covered how good this team is. Um, and, and, you know, we're sitting here with two wins, one draw, seven points in three games and a plus two goal differential. And honestly, I think this team is better than their record shows. Uh, and I, I think they have shown that they are MLS Cup contenders. And again, if you look at these stats tonight, the Revs expected goals. I know last week the expected goals stat was horrific. Uh, tonight it was a little bit better 2.6 or 2.59 for the revolution 1.3 for atlanta so we doubled them up there but you look at chances created total shots total shots they're up 14 to 11 chances created 12 to 8 you know possession was 56 44 atlanta you know the revolution are better than i think their record shows and their stats show i think if you watch tonight's game they really dominated and i know atlanta was not playing a completely a team 
Um, but that entire first half, I mean, Atlanta was lucky to be going in level outside of a bad foul by Brandon By. I mean, I, I don't think Atlanta had anything going for them defensively, and that's two weeks in a row uh, where the Revolution really have not conceded anything defensively or, or have had any mistakes. Again, one Brandon By uh, penalty kick a, a, away from a really, really good defensive effort two weeks in a row. And again, even if you want to say, well, it's DC and it's Atlanta. Yes, but good teams don't give up anything to those to, to bad teams. And I, I think the revolution are proving that they are putting themselves in the upper echelon of MLS sides. So again, it's a one goal game. The Revs did win on a penalty kick today. I think in a lot of ways, the Revs can look at themselves as a little bit lucky, but we talked about the Chicago game. There was a lot of chances that they had some missed opportunities and some bad finishing. They had some some bad finishing uh, last week. It should have been much more than one nothing. And I think about the three on two where Buxa uh, didn't pull the trigger, didn't uh, fight, didn't shoot with his right foot. Um, that could have been a, a big chance. You know, the Tayon uh, header from that boost across that could have been a great chance. There were a handful of plays today where you know it, it could have gone a different way or one or two slight differences. The Masiel to Teal pass late in the game in stoppage time when Teal was on goal and the keeper came out just in time. Um, there were a lot of really, really close plays that uh, I think the Revs could have won this game by two or three goals easily, and uh, I think they're for real. I completely agree with you, but I want to play devil's advocate here for a second and say this was an Atlanta United team without a lot of their best players. Joseph Martinez didn't start. Miles Robinson didn't start. Zico Barco didn't start. They were coming off a midweek CONCACAF Champions League game that was a you know hard-fought encounter for them. It was a great performance by the Revolution against a much weakened Atlanta United side that you know follows on the heels of a a win against DC United that wasn't you know anything special offensively and a tie against a, a terrible Chicago Fire team. Now, if you ask me if, if two wins and a draw to your first three games, two two home wins, one road draw, that's a fantastic start to a season. Um, this performance was really good, but you know, and and, and I, honestly, I agree with your take, but I think there there is the, the devil as advocate approach here that, you know, you look at back at those three games and, you know, there is still a little bit of, of lingering doubt um, on, you know, what happens if they're playing Atlanta United when they had a full squad. And you mentioned the Revolution had a lot of great chances where they should have scored more goals. They did. Atlanta United had a great chance, too, where Andrew Farrell turned the ball over. They had a three-on-two chance and didn't play it particularly well. Henry Kessler played it really well, but mm-hmm. I still think Atlanta United could have done better there. And, you know, a, a little fluke the other way, and maybe Atlanta United ties this game 2-2. My, my counter here, though, is Miles Robinson and Barco came in in the 45th minute. I know Barco went off early. I'm not going to really put a lot of emphasis on the Revs being up a man. But Barco and, and Robinson came in in the second half. Uh, Joseph Martinez came in in the 72nd minute. And I don't think Atlanta United looked any more dangerous in the second half. Um, again, after Barco went off with 10 minutes to go, I, I think that that we, we can certainly excuse that final 10 minutes. And that point is there, Sean. But even with a more strengthened roster from Atlanta, I don't think they looked much better today. No, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. I just I just think that, you know, you can go back and look at these three games and find reasons why you're not completely convinced yet. Um, I, there's, there's definitely reasons for that. And, you know, had this Atlanta United team had a full week of rest, had, you know, they had hundred percent Joseph Martinez and Ezekiel Barco starting from the beginning. Um, you know, had they had Miles Robinson had, you know, George Bellow has been a fantastic player for him. Had he started who, who knows? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to just say, you know, obviously this wasn't Atlanta's team at a hundred percent strength. Um, and they did have several different injuries, you know, uh, even Dam went out. I didn't write down the minute, but it was pretty early on. Early I think on, it was in yeah. the first half. Um, and then he was replaced by George Bellow. Um, so, it, it, and Dam was playing a, a good game. I, I can't remember his first name. Um, so I'm just going to call him Dam. 
But I thought he was playing a, a good game defensively for Atlanta um, until he did go out. And then, of course, they had the Barco injury as well. Really tough spot for Atlanta because they still got um, another match. Was it Tuesday night, I think it is? Uh, another CCL second leg. Uh, and they're already down 3-0. I mean, I think their CCL hopes are done. But And now possibly no Barco for that game based on, exactly. based on the injury he went out with. I think it's probably doubtful he plays. Yeah, so it's absolutely fair to say it's not their best team, but uh, I don't think that we should discredit the Revs' performance tonight. Um, I do wish that they had scored some more goals, but yeah, I mean, I I, I don't disagree with the, with your take either, Greg. Revs are a good team. I will concede that, and maybe I'll meet you here halfway, Sean, is that I would be more sold on them if they had to withstand a Atlanta push in the final minutes with 11 men on the field, with Barco on the field, and the Revolution yep. trying to shield them off. I think we did lose a little bit of that aspect tonight to see how good the Revs are closing out games because the Revs closing out this game and playing keep away um, and and having Carly Seal run around and have Atlanta hopelessly try to drag him down, that that really didn't tell me anything tonight. So I'll, I'll give you that, that there might be a little bit more to prove, uh, but right now I think this team gets passing marks through three games. I, I, I honestly would have liked to have seen the Revolution go against the full-strength Atlanta side because I think the way they played today, they, they would have beat them. I'm disappointed we didn't get to see that. All right, well, let's keep this train moving. Let's move on. Tejon Buchanan, uh, he got to start tonight. Uh, any opinions on his performance? Greg, I'm going to go to you first. What did you think of Tejon Buchanan getting the start? Well, I, I first off, I think this was a really important game for Tejon Buchanan, um, kind of for the reasons that we uh, mentioned earlier. There's a lot of debate over, you know, if he's starting, who does he take over? And I think previously we've said, you know, does he play for Trostason? Uh, you know, does he, you know, heels on the right side, so he can't play here. Does he take over from Brandon Bay? And I think we we have a, a debate now that maybe Tayon is should be playing for Bo. Um, I think Tayon killed it tonight. Carlos Hill was fouled a lot, or it seemed like he was fouled a lot. He only really drew three fouls um, in his 70 minutes. Tayon Buchanan, I think, drew six fouls. Um, he drew a, a really important yellow card early in the first half. I think it was the third yellow card for uh, Atlanta United. So it, it just seemed like everything was going wrong for Atlanta and Tayon was more or less toying with them. So outside of that missed header, I don't have a lot of complaints. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I thought he had a great game and Bruce Arena said after the game, it was his best performance of the season. I think that was kind of a low bar because he had a, a poor performance to start the, the year and then played what, 15 minutes the, the last game. Regardless of that, it was a good performance. Um, I thought he looked really good. He, you know, he got the penalty kick that ended up um, winning them the game. He had a, you know, he was fouled a ton in this one. Um, you know, they, they really struggled to control him. And I think he provided a great outlet for Carlay's heel. Um, you know, the stats don't necessarily show how important he was to the revolution in this game, but I thought overall it was a, a really good performance from Tejan. And I, you know, it's going to be a very difficult decision for Bruce Arena next weekend. What to do. Now, I know, we, I know we didn't talk about this before starting recording, but I'm going to throw it at you guys. Could you pull out your, your best Jake Hattonese performance and tell me, was that actually a penalty on Tejan Buchanan? So I, Jake messaged me because I asked him, I paged him. So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to just repeat Jake's <laughs> opinion because that I think works. it's, I think it's, I think it's the right opinion, but if you are on the line, it's technically in the box. And in real time, I didn't think, I thought it was a good call to, to put it outside of the box. Mm -hmm. But I, I think if you watch it in slow motion, you can make the argument that half his body is in the box or over the line or on the line. I, I think you can really, really slow it down and go frame by frame. And, you know, it, it went to VAR, VAR, so obviously it was a clear and obvious call. They felt that way, and the referee felt it was worth overturning. So um, I, I think that's the explanation, and I think that is the reason. So I will... Go there, but in real time, if I was an Atlanta fan, I'd be a little bit annoyed about it. I I thought it was a very 
borderline call where if the referee had called it a penalty, it wasn't going to get overturned on VAR. And if the referee didn't call it a penalty, it was too close to, to say it was clear and obvious. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Even with a lot of replays, I struggled to, to say this was so obvious I got to overturn it. So I'm surprised it was overturned. You know, the, I think that Trostison had a good case for a penalty kick later in the game that yeah. um, that maybe he would have gotten if they didn't get this one. Um, so I don't know. I, the, the more I watched it, the less sure I ever was that it was you know obvious enough that it should be overturned on VAR. Again, if you call it in real time as a penalty, I think it stays. But I, I was surprised it got changed. Yep, uh, I'm in, I'm in your camp. I didn't think there was anything clear and obvious about where that call should have gone. And uh, therefore, I think it should have stood as uh, a free kick outside the box. But hey, you know what? Revs benefited. It's not too often we get to say that when it comes to VAR. So I'll take the goal. I'll take the uh, the three points away from it. And uh, we'll move move on. Wait, wait, um, wait. I, I have one more point about Tayyam Buchanan. I just oh, I did too, but that's well, fine. You, oh, you know, well, maybe it's the same point. But what do you guys think? Do you think Tayyam Buchanan is... I mean, part of the, the argument about where to start him and where to play him and all that stuff. Do you think Tayon Buchanan is just a much better player as a starter than as a super sub? Because he's shown flashes as a super sub, but he, he feels a little bit out of rhythm and out of sync. Whereas as a starter, as a 60, 70 minute player, he seems to be putting in more better performances. Do, do you have any opinion on, you know, maybe he's just a guy that we need to be throwing out there as a starter? I think that he definitely thrives as a starter. I think he he's a very confidence heavy player. From the outside looking in, you know, when you give him that start, he goes into the game with a lot more confidence. When he's coming off the bench, it looks like he's trying so hard to prove that he shouldn't be coming off the bench and maybe, you know, trying too hard where he's he's not actually performing to his capabilities or he's making more mistakes that he necessarily would not regularly make. Uh, Also, this is the first time that we've seen him play this year on the right wing, uh, and I think he's so much better in that position than he is left wing, left back or right back. Uh, you know, he's, he's an attacker and he's got to be on the right hand side. Um, so if you're playing him on the left hand side, I, I think that's also going to be a hindrance to his confidence. I don't know. Sean, do you have an opinion too? I, I think he is better as a starter. I think he grew into this game too. I think, you yep. know, like Chris said, he hadn't played in the right this year. Um, and, there was a little bit of rustiness at the beginning between him and Brandon by, they weren't always on the same page. And because he started, there was plenty of time for them to figure that out. And they did. Um, or if you bring him off the bench and, you know, he hasn't had much time there. It's a, it's a harder, harder role. With that said, with his skill set and his pace, he seems like a guy that would be a great super sub. So I don't see why he couldn't be. Um, but, you know, based on the balance of this year, I think starting him and starting him in a position he's comfortable in is where you're going to get the most out of him. With, with that said, you know, they do have a really pacey guy in Emmanuel Boateng that we haven't seen yet this season. Wasn't on the bench this game. Um, I, I wonder, I, I don't know if he was injured or what, but I wonder, you know, when we're going to see him because he seems like the guy that if you're starting Buchanan and you want some, some pace off the bench, you might, you might see coming in late in the game. Yeah. I, I was really concerned. I mean, I'm not going to complain about Bruce not using all of his subs here tonight because I didn't, I mean, they were playing so well. I don't think he really need to make any changes, but I found it weird that they put Tommy McNamara on the left side for Tristison as opposed to Emma Boateng. Cause I thought Boateng would have done a great job keeping possession, stretching the field. Um, you know, it, it got to a point where they were just kind of huffing it long and, and hoping Buxa could hold possession. Um, and, and I think Boateng would have added a little bit more to uh, kind of that vertical you know, defense, so to speak. The one other point I wanted to make before we do move on with Tejan is um, as far as his performance goes, I still feel like he he showed to be a bit of a defensive liability. Um, and so as long as the Revs are playing him more of more in the attacking position, I'm more than happy to see him get more more opportunities out there when he we see him needing to track back and trying to win balls. 
uh, I I feel like you know, he, like I said, he is a, it's a liability, and uh, he's not the best one on one defender. I, I think uh, um, Atlanta United, whatever their SB Nation site is. Um, they tweeted out the heat map of where uh, Tayon Buchanan's average position was somewhere in the first half. And he was literally right outside the 18-yard box. And they said, this is never a good sign. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, it, it might have been uh, the reason why Tayon Buchanan played so good today is because he was getting into exa- attacking positions and he was causing so much havoc. Um, I agree. I think his defense needs a little bit of work. And the, m- the more offensively, the more he's pushing up and, and the, the more he's in attacking areas, the better he is. And I will also note, you know, in the 71st minute, Tejan did uh, make space for himself outside of the box and take took a shot. Definitely skied the shot. You know, he's definitely trying and he's pushing to get that goal. Uh, I think once we see him bag a goal or two, I think that um, maybe we'll find some more rhythm when it comes to the Tejan Buchanan experience, experiments. I almost said experience like it's uh, Jimi Hendrix, but... <laughs> <laughs> The experiment, I guess. I don't know what else to call it right now because I don't know where we're putting him, where we're going to see him next. Um, but for me, it's just some sort of experiment. And tonight was uh, a success. Uh, moving on to the other right-sided player, Brandon Bai. Did he have a good game? I don't even know what to think about him. Sean, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about Brandon Bai's game? He had one goal. He also forfeited a penalty or forfeited a conceded a penalty, I guess. Kind of went two ways. Uh, what's your opinions? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a tough one. It's it really is a tough one to analyze this performance because it was a, it was a great header um, that gave the Revolution the early lead, um, and it was a terrible foul that that gave the lead right back. You know, overall, I think he played pretty well. Uh, at the at the same time, um, you know, it, it it worked out great that he scored that goal, but it was also the Revs turned the ball over and he stayed up forward, which which looks great. When it works out, it doesn't look so great if it ended up being a counterattack. Um, you know, I, I give him a, a, a passing mark for this game. I think overall it was a, it was a, a decent game. But, you know, he's at the level now where he's got to not make a dumb foul in the box like that one that he made. It, you know, he got beat, and then he compounded the error by, you know, committing a dumb foul. And you, you can call it a, you know, a soft. The guy went down easy. But it was a PK. At the end of the day, it was a PK. It was the right call. Um, and it was a dumb play by Brandon Bay. So, you know, what would have looked like a really good game from him, you know, you got to take several notches down for, for conceding the only goal the Revolution gave up was, you know, the dumb penalty kick that, that he committed the foul on. And Turner almost saved that pen, too. I he really did. It, it's, and it, was, it was a pretty good penalty, too. Yeah. So it would have been really impressive if he, had, if he had saved it. Yeah, I think, and, and Jeff Lemieux tweeted out that I think it was his fourth straight penalty kick save. Uh, so uh, the streak is over, uh, very, very close uh, by Matt Turner. I don't know how he does it. I guess he's only one for seven in regular MLS, regular season penalties, uh, which seems wrong. Um, but I guess he makes all of his saves for the national team in the playoffs when it matters the most. So I'm glad he's saving those saves for labor, but, um, no, Brandon by a real Jacqueline Hyde performance today. I thought, um, great header. Brandon by is a very frustrating player because he does so many things really, really well. I I think I saw a stat in the game notes today in the media game notes that Brandon by is leading or tied for the lead in MLS uh, in, in aerials won by a defender. Uh, And that's really good for a right back too, not even a center back. So he's very, very good in the air. He's usually very good in one-on-one situations. He obviously got beat on that penalty kick and and made it even worse by fouling from behind. Um, So he's usually pretty solid defensively, but obviously we talk about his crossing a little bit. Um, his passing today, again, very poor, 59% passing. And for a guy who's getting, you know, second most, third most touches on the team, you know, passing at a 60% clip um, is, is never very good. Obviously, he was over two on crosses, over two on long balls, only had one touch or, or sorry, he only had one uh, key pass 
Um, did have 69 touches, so uh, a little bit of that, you know, hooray for that, but eight for 20 on duels. Um, so overall, you know, I, I thought outside of his goal, if you t- if you take away his goal scored, um, I don't think we're looking at Brendan Bay as a very good player on the, the pitch today. But, you know, he, he makes up for it with, his, you know, winning that aerial. It was a really, really good run, too, uh, where he looks like he's going far post, then cuts on the inside and has a good foot of space on his defender. So, you know, I, I think we had some really good highs from Brandon by today, and I, I think we had some really, really uh, bad lows, obviously, with the um, penalty kick being the most glaring example. So, um, you know, I, I think, Sean, you said he was a passing grade. I, I give him a passing grade, too. It's kind of weird to say that about a goal scorer, but um, I, I don't think this was Brandon by's game, even with the goal. I'm on board with you guys. It's a, it's a passing grade for me as well. And, uh, you know, he has one of his three or four goals now, so Bruce Arena is only going to be asking for two or three more. <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts before we move on from Brandon Bay? Henry Kessler is still three or four goals away. Yep. Damn woodwork. <laughs> that, that the woodwork that 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 was a uh, tough one. What what minute was that in? Uh, that was the seventeenth minute. Yeah, that was uh, that was tough. And then I have to make note of that play too because right after that went off the woodwork, uh, there was a pretty pretty great piece of skill uh, shown by Buxa to take down that ball. Um, too bad nothing came of it from that point. Uh, I think we scored what uh, a minute or two later, but it, it yeah. drew the corner. It drew the corner kick that started the sequence of events that led to the goal. So I think we can we can kind of indirectly give some credit to Adam Buxa for keeping that ball alive uh, and drawing a corner kick. Yeah, it was it was a nice piece of skill that I didn't know he possessed. So all right, well let's keep it with the with the outside backs. I want to talk about Dewan Jones. You know, last week he he missed the match because he was out with a red card, which. Uh, None, I don't think anyone thinks should have stayed a red card or stayed as a suspension. Uh, but he got he returned. He got to start over Mafla. Uh, what are your takeaways? Yeah, I, I well, one thing we have to preface this with is that Bruce Arena said that Mafla is still working his way back. I, I think he said he's about 70 or 80 percent fitness. So that comes into play a little bit here. I wonder if the original thought process here was Dewan Jones gets the start and Mafla comes in if they need a goal um, or if they – you know, if situation shames, if Jones is not playing as well, like he played, in, if he played the way he played in Chicago, maybe Mafla comes in for the second half. Um, I, I think that might have been what the game plan was coming into this one. Uh, but Dewan Jones, I thought, played phenomenally. Um, he had a number he, defensively, too. He had a number of uh, great plays there in the 77th minute. I thought his best play was he actually gets beaten by Moreno, uh, but he essentially kind of wins the ball back and he kicks the ball off of Moreno. And that was out for a goal kick. So, um, you know, he, he has that speed and that raw athleticism that is able to kind of cover from mistakes. And we saw that a few times today. And we also saw some just really nice um, anticipation uh, from Dewan Jones. Uh, he kind of pushed up. He kind of helped lead the counterattack a, a couple times. So um, I, I thought Dewan Jones put that Chicago performance behind him. Uh, I thought it was a really, really good performance by Dewan Jones. And we talked about how Moffla might be taking the uh, left back spot away uh, and, and how we kind of expected him to be the favorite coming into the left back spot uh, for the season. I think Dewan Jones is making a very, very strong argument. Yeah. yeah. Overall, I think really, really good marks for Dewan Jones. Tonight. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit less high on Dewan Jones's performance. I thought defensively he was, he was pretty good. It was interesting who scored has him as the lowest rated starter on the revs at 6.23 on their rating system. But you know, one thing that stood out to me a bit was what Charlie Davies called out, and that's you know the the inherent limitation of Dewan Jones is that he's a right-footed player playing left back, um, and you saw that a few times today. There were, there was a couple times where I thought you know Trossesen looked a little bit frustrated because Dewan Jones missed him with a pass, you know again because I think because he tried to do it with his right foot or did it with his left foot and it wasn't accurate enough. Um, defensively, I think it was a much better performance than we saw in the first game of the season. I thought he was you know overall pretty solid. 
there, there was one time late in the game where I think his speed ended up being too much and he overran a ball and uh, led to a chance for, for Atlanta. But uh, I do think you saw the limitations in this game, as Charlie Davies pointed out, of having a left back that's not left footed. Yeah, I I thought DeWan had a good game, but uh, he did he did look a little lost, I guess, at, in some points where he didn't know necessarily what he was going to be doing with the ball. I wouldn't say he had a bad game, but it wasn't the most impressive performance for me. Um, but I still think it was a little bit better from the performance from Mafla last week, even though Mafla won a ton of challenges. Uh, he was very aggressive, and I think that's the part that worries me when it comes to Mafla being out there. Whereas Dewan Jones, he doesn't have to be so aggressive because he has that speed to track back if needed. Um, you know, he was 78% on his passing for the night, um, and I think that's a solid stat for a left back. Um, but I, I would like to see him advance the ball uh, a bit better upfield. I think Sean is kind of hitting on a really important point, too, if we're talking about Moffla versus Jones long term. I mean, we talk about how Brandon By can't cross. I mean, can Dewan Jones cross with his left foot? Have we ever seen Dewan Jones cross with his left foot? Even his right foot. I mean, I, I think we've seen it a couple of times, but really Dewan Jones, when he gets up, we, we saw it today where Trustison had that really nice play where he kicked the ball down the wing. I forget what minute it was. I think it was like the eighth minute. He keeps the ball and he kicks it down the sideline and then he kind of pushes it in towards the center and Dewan Jones is making that kind of run inward. Um, you know, Dewan Jones, when he gets up in the attack, he's great. But, he, you know, when he's overlapping and he runs into the left, uh, the, the upper left corner, he can't do anything. Anything. He can't do anything yep. with the ball. He can't cross it. Uh, you know, he's fast and he can run up there. That's great. What is he going to do when he gets there? I mean, he has to beat someone one on one, and he's really, really limited in that sense. So I, I think Mafla is. I mean, I, I don't know how well he was crossing the ball yesterday. It's still to be determined how great of a crosser he is. Um, but that certainly is uh, an aspect that is going to favor Christian Mafla uh, every single time going out there. Well, that's a that's a great point because you you know there's been a lot of talk about trust and his ability to kind of cut inside. He's a you know left winger that can cut inside and create chances, and uh, that becomes a lot less of an asset if you don't have a fullback that can overlap and, and create space in the wing. And and he Dewan Jones came for his speed, but then he's not a threat. You know, he's not someone that's going to get down to the end line and put in a left footed cross. Before we move on to talking about the midfield, I wanted to talk about one more uh, piece of the defense, which is Henry Kessler. I uh, thought he had a really strong performance tonight. He even had uh, uh, that game saver after that feral turnover there. And then, of course, we talked about it earlier. He hit the post. 95.6% passing, three block shots, five clearances. Uh, I think that's a really good note. Is there anything anyone wanted to say about Kessler? No, I, I just think he was fantastic. I think he you know, had an argument for, for man of the match with the performance he put out there. He saved the defense a few times when there, when there were mistakes. And you know, I'm, I'm lucky that he was denied... Um, by the woodwork on, on that chance, but you know, ninety-five point six percent passing—that's what you want to see out of your center backs. And um, you know, I think the first game of the season wasn't the best one for Kessler, but this game was kind of vintage Kessler and what you know you come to expect after how good he was his rookie year. Yeah, and five clearances—that's um, that's going to be a little bit off of his pace so far this season because he came into this game uh, with eighteen clearances, which was best in MLS. So um, another f- phenomenal performance by him. Uh, not a big uh, stat padding game uh, for him, I, I think, as Atlanta. Was wasn't really uh, putting too, too much pressure on the revolution today, but really, really strong performance from Kessler. And he, he also showed a lot of ability going up, holding the ball in position, almost leading a counter. Um, I mean, he's, he's really good at his feet and he's, he's really good moving the ball as well. Obviously that 95% uh, passing shows that, but uh, he gets up and, and he helps the attack sometimes and just a real joy to watch. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add to that. I mean, I, you both have taken all of my opinions, you know, Kessler had just a stellar game um, and it, 
like you said, Greg, it's a joy to watch. Um, and speaking of joys to watch, Carlos Hill, do we want to talk about him anymore? I mean, we've talked about him a bunch already. We have him uh, slated right now to talk about one goal, one assist. Uh, maybe his passing could have been a little bit better, 71%. Um, I know at the end of the game, maybe those heavy legs were were getting to him. Um, although he's still able to take insane touches, um, like that one in the 90-something minute. Uh, <laughs> Which still blows my mind. I don't know how he was able to take that down so calmly and then make Sosa fall over himself like that. I think it was Sosa. Um, and Carlos Hill was just phenomenal tonight. I, I don't know if I can talk about it enough. Anything that either of you want to add, Sean, I'm going to go with you first. No, it's just he put in a phenomenal performance and seeing him in the middle kind of unleashed him even more. He's been good all year. Yeah. Uh, that's not... Let's not, you know, get that wrong. He's been amazing all year, but this was, you know, even another level that that we saw him at today. He's fantastic. Um, he's it's very clear that he would be the best player on just about any team in the league, uh, and the Revolution are very lucky to have him. I, I, the only thing I'll add is that if anyone finds any bookies online that uh, I can legally bet for MVP odds on Carlos Hill, uh, please let me know because if the Revolution end up being a top team in the East, Carlos Hill is going to get some MVP votes. I mean, he's just phenomenal game in and game out and um, you're missing Gustavo Bo and he made up for it more. Uh, I mean, every time he gets the ball, it's really incredible and, um, you know, I think the additions of Trostason, Captoom, Maciel, perfect passing rating. I know we're going to talk about him uh, in a little bit. Uh, Polsters at 95%. When the, the Revolution are holding the ball uh, and they're able to to move it move it around, Carlos Heel is just the perfect middle man. You know, it just just absolutely incredible work by him tonight and a real a real pain for uh, opposing defenses. Yeah, and like you said, um, we're, talk- we're going to talk about Maciel. You know, Carlos Heel got a somewhat of a new partner in midfield. I, you know, Maciel's maybe, maybe the bridge between uh, Carlos Heel and, and Matt Polster. I thought Carlos had a great game, and I think a lot of that was thanks to Maciel. And I'm going to jump right in, and I'm going to take the first take on Maciel here. You know, he did have 33 for 33 passing, like you said, uh, which is uh, incredible. I thought from the eye test, his night was not quite as good as it was. And then I'm looking at the stats once the game is over, uh, and it's it's kind of blowing my mind that he was that um, much of a, of a difference maker for the revolution from uh, from start to finish. I made notes, and I don't think I had any positive notes from Maciel until about the 70th minute. Um, or maybe 65th minute was the first positive note that I had, and that's where he had a nice touch, took it around in Atlanta defender, and created a chance. Uh, maybe it was just beginning of the game jitters or something like that, but we're looking in the seventh minute. Uh, Moreno made a move on him and Maciel looked like he belonged in, in USL, uh, in that moment. Um, and it, Moreno took a shot on goal. I think it was going wide anyway. It was a curler, but you know, Turner still tipped it out and it led to a, an attacking corner, of course, for Atlanta. Um, and that's a dangerous situ- situation to be in any time that you're facing Atlanta. I don't care if Joseph Martinez is on the pitch or not. And then the next note that I had on him was not until the 36th minute. So he was kind of invisible for me where in the 36th minute he he did foul uh, someone for Atlanta. I didn't write down the player's name. I don't think I, I caught it. But it was kind of a quiet night, but it was a positive quiet night where he's still got that 100% passer rating is just uh, is it, it's phenomenal, especially, you know, considering he did go 90 minutes. 
Well, it was um, a, it was an efficient night. I'll say that. I think yeah. that's the word you're looking for. He was efficient, and if yeah. you look at the number of touches he had, he had 41 touches, which is pretty low on the team. I mean, the only Revolution players that had fewer touches than him were Matt Turner with 21, which is very very understandable. Tayon Buchanan with, it was tied with him with 41. He came off in the 72nd minute. Uh, Trostison or Tristison, I guess the way we say his name is Tristison. Is that mm-hmm. right? There's an I somewhere, even though it's whatever. Tristison. <laughs> Tristison had 31 touches through 72 minutes. Books had 26 touches through uh, the whole game, I guess, which really surprised me. I thought Books was more involved in this game than Maciel. Um, but yeah, Ma- Maciel didn't have—I don't want to say he had, didn't have a ton of important touches because he was, as you say, perfect on the night for passing. And 18 of his 33 passes were in the opposition half, so it's not exactly like he's doing back passes and all that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, some other plays that I thought really stood out to me in the 65th minute, there was some nice buildup where he was able to, uh, receive a pass and kind of push it off to heel and heel was going to chip it to Tayon, uh, who was cutting into the box and that, the, the pass from heel to Tayon was blocked, but Maciel did a great job getting the ball to Carlos heel in a dangerous position. Uh, and then of course in the 91st minute, the long through ball to Teal, uh, in stoppage time, that was really, really great vision by Maciel and also a really good connection between him and Carlos heel where Hill kind of slipped it through two defenders and Maciel still knew exactly where to be uh, to receive that pass. So he, he seems to have a connection uh, and, and shows a lot of visibility and awareness. Uh, and, you know, even though he didn't have a lot of important plays, I mean, for a defensive midfielder, that's not exactly uh, the worst thing in the world because I think the moments you notice him is when he does, as you say, in the eighth minute, uh, miss a play, kind of get traffic coned, uh, have someone run right around him. Those are the moments you're going to remember as a, for a defender, you know, when you think back to the game. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say this was a sparkling, beautiful debut, a man of the match performance for Maciel, um, but he certainly did his job. He certainly was extremely efficient. And what we've heard about from him from Bruce Arena is that he is able to hold the ball. He's able to pass the ball. He works works under pressure and a hundred percent passing accuracy in his first game. Uh, I, I think really shows that. I can't recall ever seeing somebody in their debut go 90 minutes with a hundred percent passing accuracy, um, which is, you know, really impressive. And I think he had you know, maybe one time I was looking very, very little dispossessed. He was dispossessed one time all game. So in that sense, you know, very good job. He's a 21 year old making his MLS debut. It's a huge step up from, you know, the, the USL two level to MLS, you know, it's a huge step up from from that level to MLS preseason, and that's another step up to a, a regular season game. Um, so, in that sense, you know, good job by him. He's 21 years old. Uh, with that said, the the number one play that stands out in, in your mind after this game, seeing him, is the one that you know both of you talked about with that eighth minute play where he looked like a deer in headlights um, defensively. So, uh, it's a good base for him to start his MLS career on, and you know, a lot to build upon uh, going forward. And you know, again, Greg, you mentioned 41 touches. As a central midfielder, that's a really mm-hmm. low number. So, uh, you know, when Chris says he didn't have a lot written down, it's because he wasn't involved a lot for a central midfielder. So I, I think we saw some signs of what he's capable of, but there's a lot more to come from him. And I think a lot more for him to you know build up going forward. Well, so that leads me into one of the questions that we did get uh, before we go through all of our listener questions. There was uh, one from Quite Revs over on Discord, and he wants to know what is Maciel's ceiling like? Could he continue to start and become elite? Um, so, Sean, I don't know if you wanted to continue with your thought there. I think it's saying something that, you know, he went 90 minutes in this game and, and Captoom was on the bench who started the last game and didn't see a second in this one. That was actually kind of surprising to me. Um, so Bruce Arena obviously thinks very highly of him. Um, I, I don't know what his, his ceiling could be. I think, again, you know, having a guy that plays that role and, and doesn't turn the ball over is huge. Um, you know, is, is his ceiling, you know, a, a more elite version of Scott Caldwell, or is it something higher than that? Um, you know, from, from this game, what we kind of saw was a, 
younger version i think in some ways a younger version of, of scott caldwell that wasn't as polished as scott but had the kind of the same the same qualities of scott caldwell is that he doesn't turn the ball over generally you know there's, there's some exceptions in the brad friedel era where where scott Caldwell didn't have some good games turnover wise but uh, you know when you look at 100 percent passing it reminds me a bit of what we see from scott caldwell where maybe he's not showing up making the you know the key huge pay- plays but he's making the smart play in the center of the field where he's not turning the ball over um you know i i think Martial could be a great kind of two-way player for this team defensively offensively it's it's hard for me to say what his, his ceiling is right now um but a, again a 21 year old that didn't turn the ball that was dispossessed one time the whole game um 100 passing accuracy that's a great start yeah I, it's hard to draw what his ceiling is from one game and i was really excited about this game because i watched a few revs two games last year but it, you know i can't say i was scouting Maciel uh too heavily um yeah i think brad feldman was though <laughs> apparently oh well, apparently bruce uh, bruce arena was too but absolutely yeah it, it's it's tough to really get into how good of a ceiling he has i, I would say his ceiling is above scott caldwell uh, which is not an insult to scott caldwell i know a lot of Rebs fans are not huge fans of him but in his heyday he was a really good complimentary player uh, to jermaine jones in that 2014 season um i'd, I'd have to kind of look at a passing chart to see how how much my my confidence is in, in Massiel to see um yeah I'll, I'll do a little bit more digging before i i reach out for a, a ceiling but i would say it's realistic to say he is going to be a starter for the revolution the revolution uh this season and, and the few more seasons going forward uh, as a very very reliable starter I, I don't have any issues saying that just from what people within the organization say about him yeah and i, I wanted to add to you know 18 of his passes like you said were in the attacking half which means the other 15 were in the defensive half which is telling you I mean, positionally he's playing right where you would want an eight to play um he's a, a six eight i'm getting my numbers mixed up a central midfielder a box-to-box midfielder where you want them to play and uh he's not necessarily favoring one side or the other and I, we did see him track back when he needs to uh, we saw him join the attack when the ball was advancing forward and i think positionally that is definitely a bright sign of a of a, a great future Let's move on. We have a question from David Sabillon. The lads need to put teams away. I feel we got lucky with that penalty. Um, and he asked also about Bo, but I think we've already touched on that. So first of all, I, I'm going to take this one right off the bat and say absolutely need to put teams away. The finishing is still not where it needs to be. I need to look at the stats again because I don't remember how many how many chances we actually had um, versus how many goals we had. You know, two goals, 12 chances created. And, 14 and, total shots. Yeah, 14 total shots, exactly. And it's well, a little well, underwhelming on the attacking front. And, 2.6 expected goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 2.6 expected goals. And, with, I mean, they did get the two goals. So I guess, you know, they're right around where their expected goals is. But the eye test tells you that maybe the expected goals was more like four. In my opinion, anyway, Brad Guzan, he came up big a couple of times. Um, but... I still think he's more beatable than what the Revs did tonight. And if they cannot start finishing more of their chances, I think that it might cause some problems down the road. Um, Well, going back to my my key takeaway, too, here is that, you know, and, and, you know, we say 2.6, 0.8 of that is going to be from that penalty kick. So, really, without the penalty kick, we are looking at 1.8 to 0.4, I think, in expected goals. Um, yeah, we, we did get lucky with the penalty kick tonight. We, we really did. You know, we got lucky last night, last week with the, the own goal. But I think in both the DC game and in this game, 
you are coming away from this game knowing that the Revolution are the better team. I don't think there's anyone in D.C. or in Atlanta or anywhere across the country that is disputing the Revolution have been better than their opponents in the last two games. So it does feel lucky, uh, you know, walking away from these one-goal wins with some cheap goals. But I, I think if you look at this team, how they're performing as a whole, I think they've earned their six points. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think, you know, again, I agree with all of you that they need to do better finishing. They should have scored more goals in this one. Uh, there was definitely some luck involved. Um, at the same time, I think there was, you know, probably a shout for another penalty kick in this game that the Revolution could have had. Don't want to get back to going going to Gustavo Bo. Maybe he would have made a difference. Maybe if you brought him in in the second half or something, could have scored a goal. I don't know. That's, that's tough for me to say. I don't, I, I, you know, I do think they played really well in this game, and it was just a, a case of a little bit better finishing was needed. Um, all right, moving on. We have a question from Mocha over on Twitter, and he says, would this be our first choice lineup going forward? It looked like it. Uh, Sean, what do you think? I think it mostly should be. I I, I think I'd like to see more of Moff, like we talked about earlier. I think Moff could be the, the better option at left back. We, I, don't, I don't know that yet, but I think it's possible. Um, and again, like I said, it's, it's tough to bench Gustavo Bo, but I think if you're talking about, you know, the best 11 rather than the 11 best, I think this, you know, other than the left back situation, um, well, and, and I should also say to it, I'm not sure about the central midfield situation either. We haven't seen enough of Captoom to, to call that. So I guess I would say left back and central mid are two question marks, but I think this is close to the, the first choice lineup or what should be the first choice lineup. Yeah, I, I think Captoom is the real big question mark in this lineup because we can talk about Bo and Tay on either all day, but I think, um, you know, either one of those guys is. Uh, you know, a, a good option. And I think at left back too, we talked about Dewan versus uh, Mafla. I think Mafla is going to be the starter going forward. Um, I, and, and a lot of that has to do with crossing and the attacking ability. I, I think I take the crossing ability of Mafla uh, over Dewan Jones uh, cutting inside. So I, I think those two are kind of still TBD. Uh, but if we're talking in the central midfield, I think Captoom is going to be involved somewhere in this starting lineup as a regular uh, contributor. I think it's still TBD whether or not it is Captoom and Polster or Captoom and Maciel. It's hard to say Polster is the odd man out in this scenario because he's been great the last two weeks. We talked about Maciel. Polster also had 91% pass accuracy um, this week after being man of the match last week. So the Revolution have three midfielders, and Tommy McNamara didn't have a terrible game either. So I don't know if there's going to be some rotation throughout the year. I don't know if they're going to go matchup by matchup. Uh, I'm not completely sure, but um, as long as he's healthy, I imagine Captoom is going to be a starter somewhere in the central midfield. Yeah. So we've touched on, you know, of course we have the, the question marks at left back uh, midfield and then uh, the Gustavo Botejan scenario. But I'm looking also at Tristison over at the left wing. Um, I thought he, he put in a good shift. He made a lot of really good runs and never got any service on any of those runs. Um, but I'm thinking if none of those passes start connecting with him, none of the runs start, you know, manifesting anything, uh, nothing saying that that left wing spot belongs to Tristison. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he has another performance like this next week. If uh, you know we have a midweek game after the after the Nashville game, uh, if we see a change at that spot, especially with the fact that he's getting taken out seventy minutes into the game, uh, it's kind of surprising to think of a player that's supposedly coming into camp. Uh, being so fit as he was after you know playing World Cup qualifying for Iceland, and then he's still unable to make it 90 minutes. So that's that's a question mark for me. What's going on with the Tristison situation? Maybe it just needs time. Maybe it's going to iron itself out. Maybe next week he's going to bag a Hattie. I don't know. 
but that's that's where I'm looking right now, aside from those other three spots that, that you both mentioned. Okay, so Jay Hondo over on Twitter. Is it safe to say, after just a brief time with any revs, he was the best player in team history? Uh, that's, a, that's a bold, bold question. Uh, is anyone ready to make that statement? Greg, let's go with you. No, not not yet. Um, and the way I think someone in Rebs Discord asked, uh, where is Heel in terms of the all-time Revolution team, you know, players and all that stuff. Uh, I think if you look at what Taylor Twelman accomplished, um, I know obviously they are different positions, um, and I, so I don't expect Carly Heel to score 100 goals and, and match Taylor Twelman. Um, but Taylor Twelman did win an MVP. I believe he was on the best 11 four times. Uh, Sean, you might, I, I might be thinking of Shalry Joseph on the best 11 four times. But either way, you know, both Shalry and Taylor Twalman were top of the league performers and got recognition at the top of the league. So I know Carlos Hill has won best 11 already from his debut season. I imagine if he stays healthy, he will get it again this year. I would say if he has three years in a row of best 11 performances league-wide, I'm willing to have that conversation. So the earliest I'm willing to have this conversation is next year. I will I will maybe consider my uh, reconsider if he wins MVP this season, which I'm not throwing out completely. So I, I think a better uh, you know question is, is he the best playmaker uh, in Revolution history? Uh, and I know Steve Ralston obviously has a, a really good, strong claim uh, there, being uh, among the all-time league leaders in uh, assists. So I'll, I'll kick that one to Sean, because Sean has a little bit more insight, but um, not not willing to say best player yet, but uh, I think best playmaker, I think he can make a case. Yeah, I, I, I mostly agree with Greg. You look at, you know, Taylor Twelman won a league MVP. Carlos Hill hasn't done that yet. Shari Joseph finished second for a league MVP, and Shari Joseph... You know, if you if you look at Shari Joseph's career, he was a guy that could have the type of influence on a game that Carlos Hill had. Now, it was from a different position as a defensive midfielder, but he was a guy that could carry the revolution on his back in the same way that I think Carlos Hill can at times. Um, so, no, it's, it's too soon for me to say that. And, you know, Greg mentioned Steve Ross and Steve Ross a phenomenal player for the Revs and, you know, and, and, and elsewhere as well. Um, you know, best right midfielder in league history, arguably. But, you know, if you're talking about a, a number 10 yeah, Carlos Hill is the best number 10 in team history. Um, and they've had some decent number 10s. There's, you know, Jose Cancelo is a guy that stood out to me. Carlos Hill is a step above him. Um, Lee Wynn, fantastic for the revolution at number 10. That one might be a little bit closer. Uh, his statistics, you know, bear out that he was a fantastic player for the revolution. I, I would put Carlos Hill above him. And then you get down to the question of, are you talking about, you know, when you say best player in team history, do you actually mean most talented player in team history? Um, and I think that's kind of a different argument. But then if I go that way, then I got to throw Clint Dempsey into the mix. And you look at Clint Dempsey and the career that he had over in England um, after playing for the Revolution, too. Um, you know, I think he's got a call for that. Uh, but Carles Hill is on his way to potentially being the best player in Revolution team history if he if he has a you know longer career here. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's safe to say it, that he's there yet. I, I, I want to jump in here real quick, Sean, because I'm going to expand this question a little bit because I, I think you and I, we, we approach this question a little bit similarly in terms of, you know, we want quantity plus quality. So we kind of value a, a prolonged career over a long period of time. And I think Carlos Heel just hasn't been with the revolution long enough. But if we expanded this question to is Carlos Heel on the Mount Rushmore of revolution players, because right now I think the revolution Mount Rushmore is, um, you know, Twelman, Shalry Joseph, Probably Steve Ralston, and then add someone here. Is it, do you, you put Carlos Hill as that fourth spot? I, I don't yet. I still have Matt Reese as that fourth spot. That was my um, fourth and, as well. Yeah, and and Carlos Hill could get there for sure, but I don't put him there yet. Okay, uh, I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, you guys really 
knocked out of the park. I mean, it's just going to be beating a dead horse, I guess, with uh, any more commentary on that. It's uh, I, I think he's on the trajectory to becoming that if he keeps going the way he is. But it's we need to see a much larger sample size, I think, before we start making any claims like that. I mean, you can't I don't think you can put a guy on a team's Mount Rushmore when he hasn't played 100 games for the team yet. Absolutely. And it, it absolutely is Matt Reese, by the way, too. That has to be number four in that in that list with how much he's done for this club. Um, just just really quickly, you know, Carly's heel played started four games last year on the regular season. He started three games this year. He's played one full season with the Revolution. So the talent is undeniable. But I, I just do think it's too soon to, to start saying this guy that's got 41 starts for the Revs and has looked phenomenal in those 41 starts. But it's still just 41 starts is is, you know, overtaking someone that's played you know, 200 games for the Revs and been extremely influential. And, uh, you know, Matt Reese for a time was arguably one of the best, if not the best at his position at, at points in his career. Shrower Joseph was the best at his position in his, at points in his career. Taylor Twelman was the best at his position in points in his career. Steve Rawlson, absolutely the best in his position at points in his career. So Carlos Hill off to an amazing start. And, you know, if he plays as long for the team as those guys did, uh, I expect him to get there, but I, I just can't do it yet. Well, it, it, not to beat this dead horse, and I know we're running long on this podcast a little bit, but if you were to do a most talented Revolution players ever, I mean, where where are you starting with that one? Like, like if you're going with Dempsey, where are you? And, and let's say the question is the most talented in a Revs jersey, you know, where does Carly Seal rank? You know, if, if it's most talented solely in their time in a Revs jersey, uh, that I think you can make a case for him. Okay. Agreed. All right, moving on. We got quite revs over on Discord. He has several questions. I think we already touched on the Massiel question. He also asked about uh, Dewan Jones. Uh, what did we think of him? Did he cement a starting spot? We also touched on that. But the one piece that we haven't really talked about is uh, Buxa. He wants to know opinions on Buxa. Are you disappointed in him? Uh, and as you know, the resident Buxa stand here, I will take this and say I was not disappointed at all. I thought he showed excellent holdup play. Uh, showed the ability to cross. Uh, you know, we talked about that a little earlier. I guess I'm a little disappointed that he didn't get any shots on frame, I don't think. Um, you know, I haven't looked at that step, but I, I didn't see him a lot necessarily in the in the attack. Um, and maybe that's that's where he could have improved. Yeah, one uh, he had three shots. Uh, one was on target and two was off. Um, four shots, actually. I don't know where that fourth shot came it from. Was or a, where it was went. a block shot. He had two on target, one off, and one block shot. Yeah, okay. I saw that now, too. Um, I don't remember any of those shots. So, I mean, I think that goes to show that he had kind of a quiet night on the attack. But no, I, I'm not at all disappointed with his play. I thought that he, he had one one play that stuck out to me that maybe was a disappointment. And it was in the 37th minute um, where he got played the ball out wide by heel on, uh, I think it was a three on two. Um, and he hesitated, um, you know, uh, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, and I called it. He was pulling a Gustavo bow, which is, I think, exactly the perfect way to put it. He he got the ball out wide. He hesitated. Exact same thing Gustavo bow did last week, and then the opportunity disappeared. Um, that's right. He did he did have that one shot there where he tried to make something of it. He took a left footed shot, and it just kind of dribbled wide. It was really weak. Well, I I think if we are looking at that one play, if you take out that one play where 
It's a three-on-two. Hila's running up the center. Bruxa does a good job running out to the right. And yep. Teon Buchanan is speeding up onto the left. And I think what happened on that play is that Adam Bruxa is expecting Heel to push it to the left. And he, he just doesn't look like he's ready for it. It's it's on his right foot. He can shoot with his right foot. He should have mm-hmm. fired it. It's the same thing that we talked about with Gustavo Bo last week, where he just does not pull the trigger and shoot the ball. Bruxa just doesn't pull the trigger. He holds the ball a little bit too long, and it ends up, I think, going out for, you know, he shoots it and it's blocked. I think that's the block shot there. I think he had a he had a really nice toe touch on Carly's heel cross in the first half that Guzan tipped over the bar. I thought that was a, a very nice play. And then he had the v- very nice cross to Tayon Buchanan uh, from the left wing that Tayon Buchanan headed wide. So he did have some some good plays and some bad plays overall. Um, I don't think I'm disappointed in his performance. I'm disappointed in certain plays. Um, there was another play too where Dewan Jones had the ball kind of in the center of the field. And I think he got a long pass from, I'm going to say Farrell or by or someone, maybe it was Carly's heel who was booting the ball up the field, but I think it was Dewan Jones. He has the ball kind of at the top of the box. He loses it and he's able to just kind of reach out and poke the ball forward and pokes it into the path of where Adam Buxa is. But Adam Buxa isn't anticipating it. So it kind of rolls a little bit far away and it doesn't lead to a shot. So I think Adam Buxa, he does, I think I've said before, he does everything well but score goals. Yep. And yeah, you, you talk about the hold up play, you talk about his passing ability. He had 86% pass, pass accuracy tonight. He had two key passes. Um, he, he won. Seven of 13 duels, which is actually a pretty bad night for him. Um, but he's very good in the air. He's very good at hold-up play. Overall, there was a lot of good for Adam Buxa tonight. He just didn't find the back of the net. That is disappointing. But I don't think this was a bad performance from Adam Buxa, uh, even being even with him being shut up. Cluggy over on Discord wanted to know, small sample size, but do you think the Revs looked better with a 4-2-3-1 over a 4-4-2? Sean, let's go to you. Yeah, I mean, back to my my first takeaway i think they look better as a 4-2-3-1 i think that's the formation the revs are the best in uh, i think that's the best formation for carly's heel uh not the best formation for gustavo bow and that's the problem but i think revs overall look better at a 4-2-3-1 yeah I, again we're gonna need a little bit more time to figure out what exactly is best here because and it might be opponent by opponent but i think either way is a good option yeah i, I favor the 4-2-3-1 personally i like to see a little bit more uh, in the midfield going on. Um, I'd like to see a bit more possession, maybe some more passing. Um, but uh, I, I guess I'm biased towards a 4-2-3-1 over a 4-4-2 anyway. Um, but I thought they looked better so far with the 4-2-3-1. If, if Buxa becomes the clinical striker we want him to be, then, then the 4-2-3-1 looks a lot better. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's. I guess that's a, a key point there too because the one in the 4-2-3-1 needs to be putting the ball in the net. So... Um, let's give it a couple games and see how Books is doing. Hopefully he's, he's, uh, getting, getting some goals because right now, I mean, one so far through three games, um, is kind of feeling a little bit like last year, but, um, you know, it's only a few games in, and his play is much better overall. Randy LH has a couple of questions, uh, starting off, assuming Maciel is the number six, who is the number eight? Is it Polster, Captoom, a rotation? Um, and he didn't even mention uh, Luis Caicedo's option as well. Uh, Greg, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit with uh, uh, Captoom a little bit. I think Captoom is, I don't know if there's even really going to be an eight, six kind of split or if they're both kind of kind of be eights because uh, I don't know. They all kind of seem to have the ability, Maciel and Captoon, I, I, I feel like they both have the ability to kind of pass and, and kind of help uh, push the ball up and, and help in the attack centrally. So um, I, I suppose those are our two eights, um, but still a lot needs. I, I haven't seen them enough really to define them and, and give them a certain number. 
just yet. So yeah, I think I kind of touched on this earlier. I think somewhere this is a Maciel Polster Captoom rotation of some sort. Um, with I, I think Captoom is going to be your eight, and Maciel or Polster is going to be your six. That's my guess from what we've seen so far. But uh, you know, don't quote me on that in a few months. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. And, you know, you mentioned Luis Caicedo, who we haven't seen yet this season. He was a great player for the Revolution a couple of years ago. Um, so I wouldn't write him off. Um, and, you know, some of it depends, too, on who's playing elsewhere on the field, because all these guys have different different strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, you, you go back to the years where the Revolution had left backs that were pushed forward a lot and needed someone to slot in. And Scott Caldwell was a guy that could always come back and cover the left back. You know, if Moffla becomes a guy that pushes forward a lot and they need someone to cover, maybe that changes who you want as your number six or your number eight. Um, so I, I, I'm very much on the fence about what ends up being the Revolution's long-term, you know, six and eight. Um, I'm you know, not writing Mossy Allen as a starter yet. I think, you know, he could be, but I'm not saying he's definitely that guy. Um, you'd hope with Captoon with his resume that he becomes a regular um, but you know, it could be Captain and Polster and, and not Maciel. It could be Caicedo steps in. Uh, th- this is the one area of the revolution. This is the, the, er- the biggest area in the revolution where I still have a lot of question marks over who, who steps in there. But, you know, like Greg said earlier, Polster's played two phenomenal games in a row. Um, so you don't take him out right now. Yeah, I'm kind of with you where it, it's a lot of question marks. I'm, I'm big on Polster right now. I, I think he has to stay in there, but I don't think this is a bad problem to have necessarily, but I think it's a problem that needs to maybe find a solution somewhat soon. You kind of want to start sticking with some guys, maybe build some better chemistry going forward. I don't know what it's going to look like, and I still want to see Caicedo out there. Um, like you said, it's it's not it's it's too early to write him off. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure why we haven't seen him yet. Uh, I know he played in preseason. I think he scored an own goal for us or against us or however that works. Um, but uh, we still haven't seen Casado yet in the regular season. And that's something that I'm looking forward to personally. And then Captoon looked really good um, last week. So it's, it's definitely a competition uh, in that spot. Well, Chris, one, one thing you and I have both kind of hit on in the past is that the, the revolution central midfield are short. For the most part, there's not a lot of height there. Right. Matt Polster is the only guy that you know has anything resembling height at six feet tall. And you, all, you know, I, to me, a defensive midfield is a spot where height matters. Um, I don't think you want necessarily to have two five foot six, five foot seven guys as your defensive midfielders. You know, you you could do it, but I don't think that's ideal. Um, so I, I think that's one thing that kind of works in Matt Polster's favor is he's the only guy that really has any height yep. in that role. Yeah, a big on having that height in the midfield because you need it for the aerial duels. I mean, I guess we have some height out, out wide. If Tejan's starting, um, you know, Gustavo's uh, six foot or so, I think. 5'10". He's 5'10". He's a <laughs> yep, really big 5'10". <laughs> he does not look like he's 5'10 out there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that just goes to, to prove my point even more. Uh, but all the other guys in the midfield are like 5'9 or shorter, I believe. Uh, and that's yep. that's a problem. That's a, that's as tall as I am. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know how I would compete in an MLS midfield for many other reasons other than height. But but mostly height. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mostly <laughs> height. If I was a little bit taller, you know, you'd, you'd be seeing me out there on the pitch. <laughs> Rady also touched on uh, Buxa a little bit. He said that it looks like Buxa disappeared in the second half. Um, any thoughts as to what changed? Personally, I don't know if I thought that he disappeared. I thought he was kind of the same mediocre to okay all game um i don't know did either of you see anything that stood out to you with that 
I thought I saw less of him late in the game, in part because, you know, it was more of Atlanta trying to, to push forward and, and, and fighting to get something, and also because, you know, the Revolution were wasting time. I, I, I wouldn't have been against um, if Teal Bunbury didn't come in, you know, otherwise having Teal Bunbury come in for like the last 15 minutes for Buxa to, to you know, to use his speed and his defensive prowess. I, I, I don't think we saw, at least to me, I didn't, I didn't see as much of Buxa from the 70th minute onwards, and I'm not sure it's necessarily his fault, but that's, I, I kind of noticed that. Yeah, I think the Rebs were were playing to defend, um, and we we still saw some huck it up to him and and hope he wins it. And you know, I mentioned the duels earlier. I guess he wasn't winning as many duels, especially the aerial duels. It, it was around fifty percent. Normally, I kind of expect him to be around sixty percent, um, and, and kind of hold the ball a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't say I, I saw much of him in the second half. And the Revolution, I think, just as a team, were putting less emphasis on attacking. So I think it might have been more strategic as opposed to him uh, kind of disappearing. You know being responsible for his disappearance i'll say um but yeah it, it i was really surprised to see he only had 24 touches and yeah he, he really was ineffective that second half yep all right well moving on along i know we're starting to run a little bit long so uh james downing also wanted to know lots of positives tonight but i'm still concerned that long spells of pressure yielded few goals uh revs are surely below their expected goals and uh the stats show that they are below it there's definitely a concern there. Uh, Greg, uh, I want to go back to you. What do you think about uh, the high pressure uh, without much to show for it? Yeah, and, and again, kind of ties back into my uh, key takeaway, so I don't want to take up too, too much time here. But I think these goals are going to just start going in eventually. Um, there's too many good passers on this team. There's too many distributors on this team. They had the distribution tonight, too. They just didn't have the finish. So um, you know whether or not that's getting Gustavo Bo back out there, um, whether it is just getting a little bit luckier in front of goal, uh, you know, it's it's. I, I think there's a, a few things that just haven't not been going the Revolution's way, uh, and some of that is anticipation. Some of it is Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa in back-to-back games not pulling the trigger when they're they're at goal. You know, so it, I, I think it's just unlucky. I think this is still a really, really solid team. And yeah, they're, they're probably not where their expected goals should be, but I, I think that's going to change. I, I think they're more unlucky than bad. When you've got a three-on-two break with Carlos Hill leading the break and, and Tejan Buchanan on one side and Adam Buchanan on the other side, that's got to be a goal. Um, and, you know, not to hit on that point because we talked about it earlier, but, you know, Adam Buxa, I, I thought, other than the finishing, had a good game. Um, but that is an area in which he needs to improve. You know, he needs to be more clinical in those situations. And it is a little bit worrying. And, you know, I, I think it is right to be concerned about that. But I, I, I do think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic that that changes in the future. And one thing, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but I think it's worth saying is that normally the Revs were a team that, you know, I think a few years ago, for a few years, they're only teams that can counter. And when you're exposed in the back, they're going to run a counterattack and that's where they're going to attack. But they can't break you down. You know, um, you know, it's, maybe the revs just only work from set pieces. You know, the revs can score from set pieces. If you foul Carly's heel, if you don't want him in open play, he's dangerous from set pieces. Um, you know, if you, you leave him alone, he is dangerous from open play and he can find anyone, it seems like. They can move the ball in through position. They can move the ball through the center. They can move the ball up the wing. And the Revolution occasionally, too, will boot the ball long and have you get in a foot race with Tayon Buchanan or Dewan Jones or Tristison. Uh, or they're going to force you to boot it long to Buxa and have him win the ball. There's many, many ways this team can move the ball and advance the ball and get the ball into the box. This is not a one-trick pony or a one-dimensional team whatsoever. So I I'm not concerned about them long term. I just don't think the goals are going in for them right now, and I'm not. I'm not slamming the panic button until we get a few more weeks in. I think to counter that point too, it's 
yeah, they are a, a multifaceted offensive uh, threat, you know, with so many different ways to attack and to really push you. And expected goals tonight, 2.6, uh, only two goals to, to show for it, which, again, it's not bad, but it's still under the expected goals. Uh, 2.6 is a pretty good expected goals amount, I, th- I would say, for, for a game. I'd like to see a little bit more with how much we're attacking. And I'm while I'm not hitting the panic button yet either, it's something that I'm definitely concerned with. Uh, and I think it's something that maybe tactically uh, Bruce needs to find a solution for. Or maybe it's just a matter of waiting for Tristison to start gelling um, and Buxa and Bo and Heal to also find a way to work as a, a three-headed monster. Moving on, last question I think we got for the night. Uh, it's from TSB11. Is Tommy really our fourth winger? Obviously talking about Tommy McNamara. Uh, Boateng didn't make the bench, and I feel like this game uh, we could have used him. And I know we talked about this briefly earlier, but uh, Sean, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, I, I agree. I feel like this was a game that could have used Boateng, and I, I don't like I like Tommy McNamara and what he offers the team as versatility. I don't love him coming off the bench as a winger. That's I, I can see the logic behind it, you know, solid defensively, but I, I don't I don't love that. So. I, you know, I, I would like to see Boateng get a chance. Um, I think that's why he was signed for the team and to be, you know, that backup winger. And I'm surprised we haven't seen him yet. Maybe he was injured this game. I didn't hear anything. He might have been injured. If he is, then all right, fine. But I'm surprised he wasn't in the 18 or the 20, whatever, whatever it is these days. Yeah, exactly. I guess I was a little bit surprised too that McNamara was the one to come on. I, I would have liked to see maybe Kizza come on, get him some more minutes because he did look a, a bit threatening in the first game against Chicago. I only saw him for about 10 minutes there uh, and then haven't seen him since. So I, I personally would have liked to see Kizza, but I can understand, you know, you're trying to go from some sort of a, a midfield swap there uh, with the wingers. Um, so I guess it does make sense. Uh, but that does it for the questions. One other piece of news I wanted to touch on for some of you that might care. I know some people might not care, but uh, Diego Fagundes scored again for uh, Austin FC, the lone goal in their win over Minnesota United. So congrats to Diego. Seems like he's fitting in pretty well out there in Austin. Um, but really, that wraps it up for us today. Greg, do you have any other final thoughts before we depart? Well, I, I just want to give a programming note to our listeners that I, I'm going to be off at least next week, maybe a couple of weeks, because uh, I'm currently moving, and moving is a real pain. Uh, but to make up for it, uh, since you guys won't get to hear the sound of my soothing voice, uh, I think we're going to have a little bonus podcast for you mid-next week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you enjoy the bonus podcast, by the way, make sure you are uh, rating and reviewing, because uh, they're a lot of work, and we, we, we like reviews. So uh, please make sure you're giving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And Greg, where can our listeners find you? Oh, you can follow me uh, at Real G Johnstone on Twitter. Uh, and Sean, uh, what about you? Any other final thoughts? No, just uh, it's it's fun to see the revolution at the top of the standings after three games. You don't you don't see that too often, so everybody should be enjoying uh, going into their Sunday with the revolution on the top of the Eastern Conference and at the top of the league for the moment. Absolutely. And where can where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sean L Donahue. And then uh, for me, final thoughts, I, I had the same exact thought as, as Sean. It's nice to see, see Rez top in the Eastern Conference. And yeah, I mean, uh, let's just uh, take, take it from here and see how far this team can go. You can also find me over on Twitter uh, at Chris Velukas, K-R-I-S-V-A-L-U-K-I-S, or at Rev's Revolt. Um, and then as far as the podcast goes, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. Uh, and also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also send us an email at revolutionrecap at gmail.com anytime with questions and comments. 
And please, if you haven't already, like Greg already mentioned, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you are listening. We'll be back next uh, next week following the match uh, where the Revs travel to Tennessee to take on Nashville SC. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening and go Revs.